Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. Today on the podcast, we're discussing a couple of TV series with relevance to some unpleasant recent topics in the news. Top of the Lake Season 2 and Liar, which both air on Sundance TV here in the U.S. And we will also have some fabulous things this time. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So before we get into our main topics, we've been away for a little bit, and I just want to give a little roundup of some of the stuff we've been doing while we're away, and congratulate Teresa on her successful Kickstarter for her amazing documentary. Yay! And can I just say thank you, because I know that there are some um, listeners who uh, back the project, so thank you very, very much. Yes. And also, if people weren't able to donate, how can they keep up to date with your updates anyway? So this is for My So-Called Selfish Life, which is my documentary about women who choose not to have children in a culture where motherhood feels mandatory. There are different things you can do, but the best thing to do is go to our website, which is myselfishlife.com. Um, if you want to contribute to the film, there's uh, in the menu, there's something that says support. Just click on that and follow the, the buttons. There's also sign up for updates, which will put you on our mailing list. I don't use that mailing list too often, so don't worry, you won't get like a lot of spam in your mailbox. If you want to just email me, there's also a contact button. Shoot me an email. It comes straight to me if you have any other questions. Can't wait to see the film. Me too, and not just because I am also um, a child-free-by-choice person, a 34-year-old woman spending my Saturday recording a podcast and drinking a glass of white wine. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds horrible. Oh, man. You poor thing. You monster. I know. I'm so selfish. (laughs) (laughs) But it feels so good. But it feels so good. Yes. All right. So we will have more updates on that as it goes along, and then... Shannon went on an Alaskan adventure, and I'm hoping you'll share a little bit about one experience you told me about while you were there. Yes, so I went to Alaska for my cousin's wedding in Cordova, Alaska. Um, I never thought he'd choose the life of living in a small fishing town in Alaska and fall in love, but, you know, life takes us places we don't expect. And who was officiating their wedding but none other than Senator Lisa Murkowski, who is a longtime friend of Rachel, and actually she helped run her campaign. And so, um, you know, it was after the wedding and in the reception, lots of people were going up and praising her and all this. And, you know, I'm a Democratic woman. I am not her base, but I felt compelled to go up to her. And I just told her, you know, I'm a Democratic woman. I'm not your base, but I just want you to know that all women are really looking to you for leadership because you've actually been one of the voices that's voted against the Republicans and with birth control really being threatened right now, we're looking to all female leaders on both Mm -hmm. party lines to protect our birth control because you wouldn't be where you are now. I wouldn't be where I am now without birth control. And I just wanted her to know that a lot of women are looking to her for leadership. And we had a really great talk and lots of hugs, which my other cousin took a picture of and she was Mm -hmm. lovely. And, um, you know, I hope she remembers that when she's when she's voting. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. She's she's been a leader in several nice things that her Republican crew have not been. So right, good for her. I know. Right. I mean, I know what we should want is for a a sane Republican Party, 
But I also am just like, when are Murkowski and Collins going to just jump ship and just become Democrats (laughs) at this point, right? Like, I mean, I know they do have other very conservative policies, but like overall, we're on these like really contentious issues. I feel like I'm like, ladies, just admit it. Just come, come over to the light. (laughs) Right. I know. And I was like, I'm really sorry to tell you to keep fighting because I'm sure you're exhausted. And she was like, yeah, but I'm here to say, please keep fighting for all of us because it doesn't matter what party we're in. We're all pretty much under attack as women. So, Well, speaking of being under attack as women. <laughs> that's pretty much the theme of these shows. <laughs> no, I want to I talk about a couple lighter things first before we get to the, the really dark topics. Um, one of which is I just had to bring back briefly the um, Dan Stevens IMDb watch. I somehow stumbled across this movie poster in my various, you know, internet ramblings this week that's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it's just a picture of, like, Dan Stevens at a desk dressed as Charles Dickens, because apparently that's who invented Christmas. I mean, sorry, Jesus. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? And, like, what is his career is just my general question. (laughs) Like, who is his agent? And is he really doing a good job? (laughs) I don't, yeah, I just don't know. So I just wanted to share that I think at some point we might all need to get drunk and watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah. This picture is amazing because also the things that they chose to be in the picture, we've got to post this on Twitter and Facebook. (laughs) But why is there this thing on his desk that's two frogs doing fencing? (laughs) Like, what does that have to do with anything? It's a strange I don't movie know. poster. Is that a tidbit about Charles Dickens that I don't know or something? And then it looks like Christopher Plummer plays Scrooge. So I guess we're like, is this just another version of A Christmas Carol with like a framing story where he's sitting there with a quill pen writing? <laughs> I just Yeah, <sighs> I think that is what it is. <laughs> okay, mm. Dan, nice wig. He gets to wear a nice wig for that. Just just remember two words for you. High maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> His best role ever after. I know. And I do hear good things about Legion. I just haven't watched yeah. it. Yeah. So. Legion's great. I watched Legion. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on that and, and we'll keep you all informed. Um, and then we also wanted to acknowledge the return of a show we've talked about a few times, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's somewhat miraculous season three. <laughs> relegated to Friday nights. <laughs> Crazier than ever. Crazier than ever. I mean, I I loved the premiere. I thought it was so funny, but I know people had mixed feelings about it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I didn't it wasn't my favorite episode ever, but I mean, I'm along for the ride no matter what cuz I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but yeah, I thought the premiere was a little too over the top even for them. Right. I, I really liked the two musical numbers they did. I thought they were both really great and um, complex, not not one of the sort of throwaway ones. But um, right. yeah, it was unhinged. I think unhinged is the word I would like to use about that. Episode. <laughs> right. But but yeah, I'm in there. I'm 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 there for the ride. I'm ready. Yeah. Also, I think it's the most fun show to work on because following her on Instagram, it's like, they are having so much fun on set. Like she's always posting all these videos of behind the scenes of them, like 
shooting things or rehearsing things or table reads. And I just think they all love each other and have a great time just singing and dancing. And I just want to be on the show. It's like, I feel like high school Shannon, this is her dream to be on the show. <laughs> totally. And uh, Rachel Bloom looks fucking awesome with the dark, like Ursula as a human mm. evil hair. <laughs> she yes. looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Well, um, into our main topic here. First show we want to talk about the return of Jane Campion's Top of the Lake. Four years later, they finally do series two. It's been out for a little while, but obviously we haven't been around to talk about it. What did everybody think about returning to this character, Elizabeth Moss's detective, and her damage, so, so, so much damage, and another really unpleasant case of sexual exploitation of female characters? Uh, and Asian female characters, too. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's a theme. Um, I think we should just really start this conversation with that we all really love season one. No, no, no. You didn't love season one? No, no. Oh, shit. We better start there. (laughs) Okay, I loved season one. Yeah, I loved the, I loved maybe the first two thirds of season one. And then the way that it all kind of came together at the end, I, I didn't really like and I felt that it was really rushed. And I, I'm, I'm going to be like, I have very mixed feelings on both seasons. And I love Jane Campion so much. And she's been an influence on me. And I don't quite get her anymore watching Top of the Lake. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not yeah, the Jane Campion I know. There's some wackiness in there. <laughs> yeah. So so let's just say that. I So I'm, I'm, I'm here for this conversation, but I didn't like adore season one. I agree. I think the first two thirds were what was really, really great. And then, yeah, you know, so many people have trouble wrapping up plot, you know, so she's not alone in that issue. Um, But I definitely enjoyed season one. I felt like season one had this dreamy, entrancing quality that just pulled me in that Mm -hmm. I felt like was really lost. This season was kind of really ugly. Um, Yeah. I think purposefully so, yeah. Should we talk about what season two is about? Sure. So, I mean, we're picking up pretty soon after the events of season one for the characters, for for Robin, right? Yes, very soon afterwards. The man she was going to marry, who thankfully turned out not to be her half-brother. Remember that whole... (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know. He he turns out to be an asshole. Like, I don't even really understand why he was such an asshole, except for it's revealed that Robin has had three miscarriages, so I guess they were trying to have a baby and it didn't go well, and, you know, what choice does a man have but to be an asshole if things aren't going exactly according to plan? Um, But I overall thought the flashback sequences showing us how her life dissolved after season one were very beautiful, and that was kind of the Jane Campion... I'm used mm-hmm. to seeing it's like we're on a beach and the wedding dress is burning and like you know yeah. really really cool sequences and I love seeing Tui there and that they were still really close I thought yeah. that was really sweet like seeing them hug and seeing her son older I mean that was very satisfying yeah right and Tui being the missing girl of season one spoiler. yeah yes um who is her half sister right I mean yeah, but then, you know, she she goes away from there. She goes away from her whole support network and then ends up back working just an awful case and being surrounded by people who, men who harass her and don't understand her. And then 
striking up one new female friendship that was really interesting, but that um, I think followed a lot of the issues of this series for me, which is we just didn't get to dig deep enough on anything because there was just so much going on. Yeah, it could have really been simplified and dug deeper. It, it did feel very, everything very surface level. Right. So we should just say that the that the basic plot of of season two is a woman's body is um, washed up, basically, um, a young Asian woman's body. And she's also found to be pregnant. And we also know from the very get go that that body was dumped into the ocean by what looks like the owners of a brothel. Mm-hmm. And we assume that it is one of the employees of the brothel. And then uh, Robin is assigned to investigate this case and figure out who the woman is, how she died, why she died. So then we have Gwendolyn Christie playing the cop who is helping Robin on this case, Miranda. And then we have this whole other personal storyline where the baby that was the product of Robin being uh, raped as a teenager, she gave up for adoption, Mary, her adoptive family, the mother of which is Nicole Kidman, which let's get into whether those two ever had a conversation about Scientology on the set. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. No, wow. Um, but so then it turns out that, and, and all of this is stuff that you know pretty quickly, um, so we're not spoiling too much, but I mean that this 17-year-old girl, Mary, now is dating the older, very, very creepy gentleman who lives above the brothel and hangs out with them all the time. So, I mean, massive plot coincidence there that I think I would have been, it would have been easier for me to forgive it if the adults had acted like this was the crisis that it really is. That she's dating this creepy old man. very, very disturbing. The (laughs) lack of... There's not many storylines that I really support. This is when you just put your kid on a plane and send them to another country with an obscure relative, but this is the time <laughs> you do that. Yeah, there's a seriously problematic relationship between Mary, who is Robin's uh, birth daughter, and really this this guy who is like one of the creepiest uh, characters I have seen. And if I wasn't watching this show for this podcast... I would have checked out after the first episode. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. I think the worst the worst part of this guy in the whole thing is that video at the end and you see his gross foot in that <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, how did she ever fuck that foot? I mean, it was so disgusting, that foot. I mean, yeah. this, this guy is like, they made a choice to make him this icky, right? Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. could have had her dating... A suave older gentleman where you're like, okay, I get why you as a 17-year-old want to date, say, like, George Clooney. (laughs) But no. Like, she just seems so enamored of him in a way that made no sense whatsoever. So, yeah, it was a get thee to a nunnery moment for me as well. (laughs) I'm just not really sure what the motivations of the story were. Because it just, everything was so coincidental. Everything was so small world. And then everything was so neatly wrapped up at the end in a way of like, I just changed my mind. I'm not in love with you. I'm scared of you. Like, okay, well, that's not, that's like a totally different process that you have to set up from the beginning. It was very strange. I have to jump in and say, hey, listeners, please stay with us. (laughs) Because... 
we're talking about these shows because they raise some really interesting issues uh, yeah. about our lives as women. But yeah, they're they're kind of unpleasant, these shows. Well, let's talk about the main issue that is explored in this season, which is what is true motherhood? Mm-hmm. Is it birthing a child? Is it raising a child? Is it just like housing a fetus? Yeah, and I don't know that the show answers any of that or that it tries to, which I don't I don't know that you can actually answer that question, but again, I kind of wish that we had been able to dive deeper on those themes because it was like some of the most interesting scenes to me were Nicole's Kidman's character dealing with the her daughter's biological mother showing up out of nowhere. And then I don't feel like the flip side of that from Robin's perspective was really explored. You know, it was like she was apprehensive about meeting Mary and then she went goes from zero to 60 and is just like, I'm her mother. I am her mother. I'm like, how? Yeah, what, what that was, was the really journey weird. here. I feel like we skipped parts of people's journeys on exploring these really complicated questions and we never really get into what it means for Robin to be seeing Mary and how that must bring up what it was like for her to be raped as a teenager. Yeah, that was not addressed at all. That was it was really weird to me that that conversation was never had between the two of them. Ever. And I think that it's really the the message I got from this is adoption is bad and you should shun anybody who puts their child up for adoption and adoptive mothers aren't real mothers. I mean, that was the message I got pretty loud and clear through this storyline, which was disappointing. And also, if you're seeking surrogacy and you have a young woman from another country who is carrying your child for you because you can't, uh, you should feel a little bad for them, but you know, mostly you just feel like you should get your kid already. Yeah. it was weird. I mean, we sh- we haven't even said that the subtitle of this season is China Girl, which is meant to be the code name that the um, detectives are using for the case of this um, unidentified Asian girl who's... <laughs> the, <laughs> the racist detective. I mean, it's just, it's so convoluted the way that they, yeah. So the, you could have some racist detectives. You don't need to name your whole series after one phrase that your racist characters latch on to. Especially because these women are Thai. They're not Chinese. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, there, there was something, there could have been something really, really deep and interesting about the way that different groups of characters um, view and talk about these Thai sex workers who are living in Australia. You've got the, these trollish dudes who are their customers who view them just as sex toys. You've got the women who are using some of them as surrogates who view them as vessels. You've got the jaded cops who know that they can't help them in any way other than maybe solving this case. But there's only one or two of them who, of those characters who are working in the brothel who you actually get to spend any amount of time with, and you don't really get any depth on that. Which is a shame because I actually thought a couple of them were really interesting actresses and I would have liked to have that um, be a much, much bigger part of this story. Well, I think because the story is framed that they're not the real victims. Mary's the victim of this of the storyline, mm. really. And so they're just props, which is really disappointing. 
I don't know. And then these women that are desperate, desperate to be mothers, you know, in this circuit. I mean, it was gross. It was just like, it was really hard to believe this was made by a woman, honestly. There's a lot of things that rubbed me the wrong way of like, ooh, I expect that from a dude, but you're kind of like betraying your own kind on this shit. Yeah. I mean, it's co-written by a man. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I think what you're saying is really interesting too. Like, I would love, like, maybe just because we've been talking about this with Teresa's upcoming documentary, but like, <laughs> if you're going to talk about like the intense pressure to become a biological mother, because a lot of those characters do kind of like reject the notion of adoption... Can you get into that? But I don't think it really, like, justified that enough. Or even attempt... Yeah. Like, the characters didn't even really attempt to express why they would go to such lengths rather than take another another avenue. It was just a given. Like, of course you want to have your own biological child. No, they literally had a character go crazy. Like, mm-hmm. mentally ill crazy because she couldn't have her own child. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of... That was very extreme. Do you think that that the central character in all of this was Mary? And by the way, Mary is played by Alice Englert, who is uh, Jane Campion's daughter. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. And she was great. I thought the performances were overall very, very good. Uh, it, It was just the the actual story that was like <laughs> the performances are stellar and that's one of they the are. things where that kind of carried it along for me and I, mm-hmm. I i binged it i watched the whole thing in just a couple of days and didn't really take the time to think about some how problematic a bunch of it was until after because it does have a sweeping you in quality mm-hmm. because of these intense performances and because I like weird shit, and there's some really weird shit going down in the relationships <laughs> between the people, particularly Gwendolyn Christie's character is so fascinating, and she's just electric on screen, and it was really fun to watch her play something just light years away from Brienne of Tarth. I mean, I don't think anyone else could have done that character. I literally, that character was written so crazy, like just different extremes, that mm-hmm. I was like... She was the most perfect casting. No one could have handled it as well Mm -hmm. as she did. She was amazing. Amazing, yeah. But yeah, I do feel like Mary at the end was was at the middle of all of it. Um, But in a way where she was kind of a cipher for all of these different issues. And I, again, I don't feel like... I mean, we got almost no closure with Nicole Kidman's character. Mm Mm-hmm. No, she was told she was a mother in the end. Because that's all she needed to be. (laughs) Right. Right. (sighs) I mean, seriously, I was like, could this match uh, Teresa's themes in her documentary more? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, you know, I was watching it thinking, oh, this is good. I should be watching this because it does raise all of these issues around, you know, the the centrality of motherhood and how we define a good mother and a bad mother Mm -hmm. and all of these issues around women's choices in life. And it was like, yeah, I wish, I, I really wish that they were actually talking about that instead of mm-hmm. using it as, as like plot points, you mm-hmm. know, to, to move the characters around. Yeah, because I just, I thought it was really bizarre that so many people were kind of punishing towards Robin about that she gave up this baby. She was gang raped as a teenager. She was in no way prepared to be a mother. And it was strange to me that I feel like several characters we're implying that she should have. And, and this seemed very weird. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mary seems to have had a pretty cushy, great life. Yeah. That she herself is throwing away for reasons 
unknown. I mean, and I can... She's 17. Okay. She's yeah. angry at the world. That's fine. Um, and it was a good performance. Mm-hmm. But people... The adults around her, you're right, were just, like, acting as if it was... A rash. phase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, I wanted more from the character of Robin. I feel like she didn't have much of an arc this season. I mean, she... She's doing stuff, but she's kind of just fumbling towards some growth. And um, I don't know, just the, I really loved her the last season going back to her hometown, really facing all of that was really, really rich. And I don't know, I thought it was a little repetitive with her character this season. And Elizabeth Moss is such an incredible actress that I'm hoping in the next season, because they obviously set it up that there's going to be a next season, that she'll have a little bit more to do. I really think she needs A, therapy, and B, antidepressants. Robin does. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I'm yeah. just watching her, like, sleepwalk through her life. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like she, the girl should get some help. Also, mm-hmm. why does every man in the world want to sleep with her? <laughs> what is it about her that, like, every single guy she meets is putting the moves on her and... Uh, for, for, you know, for better or worse, basically. What is it? (laughs) It's a little odd. It's a little odd. Is it her vulnerability? Is it... I don't know. She represents a challenge? Is it the unwashed hair and the cigarette breath? (laughs) What is it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I can think of is that she, you know, comes off as kind of damaged. And that is appealing in some way. I don't know. I don't get it. I think it, was... it is that. I think it is. I mean, because this is kind of a yes, all men kind of show, which is one of the <laughs> things I like about it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's not really any redeeming male characters, which is nice. <laughs> Wait, what about the that dad? I think the dad is, is kind um, of saintly. Well, if we don't want to spoil some things about the dad, I won't get into what I think okay. about him. All right, so that's Top of the Lake, China <laughs> right. Girl. Let us know what you think about it. And I, especially if you loved it, like, I would love to hear a defense because, yeah, it was it was just a weird season. Um, so the next show we want to talk about is Liar, also airing on Sundance TV. They've shown four episodes so far in the U.S., all of which I've watched. And it stars Joanne Froggett, Yay. a.k.a. Anna from Down Abbey. And, she, again, she's very good in it. Good performances. The premise is awful. (laughs) Uh, Which is basically you are asked to question whether or not she has really been date raped or not by a very handsome surgeon played by Yoan Griffith. What did y'all think of Liar? Well, I feel traumatized from watching it, so thank you for that. Appreciate it. Sorry. I just want to jump down to a note that you made, Brandy, in our agenda, which is when a show about a woman enduring rape starts with the production card, Two Brothers Entertainment, flashing on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's so true. Written by two dudes. Two dudes who clearly want to be edgy somehow. They want to be edgy they want to be devil's advocates they want to yeah it's like how did the conversation go how did the conversation go they go on a really good date and it's like but was she raped but was she lying (laughs) and then someone fucking paid to make this bullshit i mean it's just 
Just believe all women. Don't watch the show. That's all, that's all I can say. <laughs> the end. Thank you. We'll be back. The, the genesis of this being a topic for the show, and I do apologize. So I, I was like, ooh, Joanne Froggett. Let me watch this show. The premise sounds iffy, but, you know, let me check it out. I watched episode one. I immediately email and I'm like, we got to talk about this on the podcast. But I don't tell them that the subtext of that is because it's fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did leave out that. So I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be good and thought-provoking. I was like, this is not good. And I'm getting really upset. <laughs> no, and let me just say, I mean, because there is no way to create the suspense you need in a thriller with this central quote-unquote mystery without inviting the viewer to participate in the way that the other characters express doubt about Laura, the main character's experience of being raped. And um, I'm just going to say right now that we're going to spoil some stuff through episode four of this. So if you really are feeling like, I don't know, this sounds like my jam, turn us off now because I'm going to tell you that it's not until the end of episode three that they reveal to the viewer that yes, she was in fact drugged and this guy is in fact a serial rapist. And then from there, it's kind of like a cat and mouse kind of thing is what they're trying to do. But it's just everything is so gratuitous. And then all the side storylines are really gratuitous too. And they're all just icky. Icky's a good word for the whole show. There's a side storyline where Laura's sister, who's her only confidant in life because God forbid she has a friend, uh, mm -hmm. is actually sleeping with her ex-boyfriend, very recent ex-boyfriend. Um, of course, this is the first guy she ever went on a date with after breaking up who raped her. Um, there's a side storyline about Laura having to help one of her students because she's a teacher, her student who's had a miscarriage, but she can't, or she's self-induced an abortion using abortion pills. She can't tell her very conservative father about it. So she asks the very same man who raped her, who works at the hospital to lie to that student's father and say that she just fainted from being dehydrated. So it's like, see, Laura is a liar sometimes. And she has to oh ask this same man who raped her to lie for her. And he's like, I can't believe you would have me do such a thing. It is infuriating. Wow. wow. I, uh, I was thinking about the David Mamet play Oleana. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if people are familiar with this play, but it is a college professor guy who is accused of sexual assault by one of his female students. And through the entire first act, it's really like from the guy's point of view, like he's going to lose tenure because of this. It's going to ruin his career. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, and then in the second act, it's really more about her. And you find out that he did do it and he's a violent asshole. So these guys saw this play and wanted to be David Mamet. <laughs> I feel like there's something there where it's like, so David Mamet did this play 20 years ago, maybe it, it sucked back then. Sorry. But, um, I feel like, like, it's like, yeah, it's so edgy. Let's cast doubt on it. Let's make it look like a good man's been accused and it's going to ruin his career. And it's like, I can just read the newspaper to like, mm -hmm. see that storyline play out every time a woman is sexually assaulted and their high school swim, you know, star, gets, you know, two months probation because they don't want to ruin his promising career. Yeah. And the narrative has shifted of like, yeah, ruin their career. A uh, majority of people want those careers to be ruined. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
Get with it. Two brothers entertainment. <laughs> you know, get with it. Two brothers. Um, I'm going to tell you guys something that happens in the fourth episode of the show. Oh mm-hmm. my God, I thought that was the shocking thing already, was the lying thing. No, no, no. Oh, that wasn't even okay. it. So wow. there's a, the two detectives who are on Laura's case, which is an older white gentleman and a younger detective, female detective of color. Um, I'm not sure uh, the background of the actress, but this character, the female detective, she's also a lesbian and she is pregnant uh, about 10 weeks along. They make it very clear. So she at one point goes to the rapist dude's house and is basically like, we have to let you off, but because we don't have evidence, but stay the fuck away, right? Like, and and he tries to like invite her in for a drink. Like, this is when you're starting to realize what a sociopath he is, and she's like, "Fuck off!" Obviously, she. I think her parting uh, words are, "I don't, I don't have a drink with rapists," and then she storms off, and you're like, "Ooh." <laughs> so good what? Good job, two brothers. Good job. Good what work. does he do but sneak into her house, put? GHB in like her juice diet that she's on and proceeds to sneak into her house and rape her too. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, man. Yep. yep. That's episode four. And then yeah. they end the episode making you think that perhaps he's caused a miscarriage. Oh, good. <laughs> so. Oh my God. That was the worst. Here's another, here's another observation on this. You know, the good man falsely accused ruins their career and then we're we're veering over to the other side of that which is this person is a sociopath serial rapist right so it's one or the other it's either this perfectly good dude who some woman was upset she had sex with him and now she's accusing him of rape uh, or he's an absolute sociopath he's the guy in the dark who jumps out at you Mm -hmm. right and Generally speaking, when we talk about sexual assault that occurs on an everyday basis, it's neither of those. It's neither of those. Like, that's why the story almost seemed like it could be good from the beginning. Like, I was very credulous, but I was also interested because it's like, the the setup is this is a guy she kind of knows. He Mm -hmm. his son goes to the school she teaches at. The her her, she and uh, him and her sister work at the same hospital. She goes on a date with him, and then he is a date rapist. Like, that is a thing that has happened to so many women where a dude you think mm-hmm. wouldn't think twice about inviting back to your apartment because his phone is dead and he needs to call a cab ends up taking advantage of you. That is not the case here. Like, they feel the need to make him into this just, like, utterly remorseless... I mean, there's also another side storyline where they're wondering whether he might have murdered his ex-wife. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I thought that was going to come up. I called <laughs> right. that. I was like, ooh, suicide. Yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, they have just wrung every bit of nuance they might have been able to pull <laughs> off. And emphasis on might. But they've just <laughs> wrung it out and just been like... How can we tell basically this twisty kind of thriller? Except for all of your twists are just about more violence towards more women. That's not a good story. Yeah, two brothers. They got some work to do. <laughs> this uh, is not entertainment. This is not entertainment. Yeah, and can I just... I, I'm really kind of sad for the actors who are involved, too. Like, Joanne, 
what are you doing? Didn't you listen to our podcast about the rape storyline in Down Abbey? <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought about that too. I was like, oh my God. Is now her career tainted too? She can only play rape victims. She's very good. That's about the best thing I can say about this show is that Joanne Froggett is a very good actress. She's good. Right. And, I mean, I think, again, I think the performances are, are good. I think they're, they're fine. Um, I think that it's beautifully shot. I think like the moody seaside mm -hmm. town vibe is great for this. All the details are lovely. The details of each of their homes, I really also love. The fact that her sister is an anesthesiologist and not a nurse points for that. Mm -hmm. um, you she know, has a very but, handsome stay-at-home husband who I'm like... She has a very handsome yeah, stay-at-home husband. Why are you cheating on this guy with the less hot guy? Like, what's yeah. like, pudgy, The pudgy cop? Come on. Yeah. So... I just wanted to say something positive. Well, don't say any more. It'll go to the two brothers' heads, you know? So It's a world of characters where you could tell an interesting story. I would mm -hmm. watch the two detectives who have a really interesting camaraderie, and particularly it's one of the only times I've seen like an older male detective with a younger female partner where he really seems to be treating her with the respect of an equal. Like, yeah, he teases her and ribs her about stuff, but like... It's because he's hoping she won't quit the very difficult department that they work in because he mm -hmm. wants to keep working with her and he's trying to like lighten up their day of investigating sex crimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I noticed that too in the, the first episode that he defers to her a lot. And yeah. I was like, wow, I, you, I often don't see that. So I, I did like that. Yeah, I would love to watch those characters investigate another crime that's not so convoluted and, and despicable, basically. I don't know. They, they they really, at some point, start fetishizing the, the way that he zeroes in on all of his victims in a way that is not okay. Um, and, it's, and it kind of starts there, I think. Great. So our recommendation is don't watch this show. Um... Yeah, and don't watch this show. And I am sorry, because Shannon texted me. She was like, after all the Harvey Weinstein stuff, like, I just cannot watch this show. And I think... For me, it wasn't as upsetting because I was just on a plot level so, like, just so stunned. Like, what are you even doing? Um, that I didn't really think about, you know, how how emotionally upsetting it could also be. We're going to need a big trigger warning on this episode. Yeah, we're already living in a world that doesn't believe women. I don't need my escape to be to another world that doesn't believe women, so... Mm -hmm. To me, it's not so much like what you see in the show. It's just this, it's everyone's instinct is to question her and to not believe her. And I'm so sick of that shit. So yeah. that's why. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also, I'm also sick of this idea that uh, someone who sexually assaults a woman could never just be a regular guy who took advantage mm -hmm. of some power dynamic and mm -hmm. chose to ignore what was actually going on and did it. It, it's never just that that guy, you know. Mm -hmm. It always has to be the sociopath that yep. that did that. So, yeah. Yep. Let's lighten things up. Garbage. All right. Let yeah. Let's end on a light note with some one fabulous things. Yeah. What do you guys got? What's fabulous? One one fabulous thing is that the new season of Outlander started, and we just got the print shop scene, and that's all I'm going to say about that. You <laughs> Outlander fans know what I'm talking about. The print shop. Anyway. But the other wait, thing wait, is, wait, wait, wait! I got a yeah. question. Is it sex? 
Yeah, is this as hot as the wedding scene? Because then I'm just gonna go it's, back. I'm just gonna watch. No, no, that it's 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 very different. It's very different. I can't I can't okay. say. Okay. Okay. So okay. it's it's not a sex scene. It's not a sex okay. scene. Okay. Not. But it's a really important okay. and intense. Okay. Well, you lost us then. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, but the other thing I want to say is that I have bowed to tremendous pressure from our Downton Gabby community, and I started watching Poldark. Oh, I started watching Poldark. The first two seasons I get for free on Amazon Prime. The third season is currently on PBS, so you can still stream, I think, the first three episodes that have been shown. Uh, Poldark is a historical romantic drama. It takes place at the end of the 1700s in Cornwall, and uh, it centers on the just ridiculously attractive uh, title character who is um, part of a kind of a the the family of the area, but he's not wealthy. There's a lot of intrigue between the, the people in the family. There's a lot of class stuff between the miners and the rich people. There's a very evil rich villain. Uh, there are feisty ladies who are great. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Although I think Poldark's kind of an asshole, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, so, so my one fabulous thing is Poldark. I'm glad someone's finally watching it. Yes. Because we do get a mention of it like every time we say, what are you watching? Someone's like, have you bitches watched Poldark yet? Like... <laughs> yes. Yes, Teresa's watching Poldark. Feel free to tweet at Trixie Films and we can talk about Poldark. Well, I'm, of course, going to talk about a book because I always seem to talk about books. <laughs> so I read a fabulous book when I was in Alaska that I just found on a list of like top dystopia books. And I was like, oh, this one looks interesting, has really good reviews. And it's called The Unit. And it's actually written by a Swedish woman. And it was written like 10 years ago, but I guess they're doing a reprint of it so you can find it now. And it's a really interesting premise of um, women when they hit the age 50 and men when they hit the age of 60, if they don't have children, they are sent to these kind of medical hospitals where they are then used for organ donations and um, kind of like medical trial experiments. And it's this whole idea that they weren't needed and they were expendable. Mm -hmm. And um, it is really, really well done. It's told through first person, and it's kind of one of those stories that you're like, oh, this is okay, this is okay, oh, that's really fucked up. But no, <laughs> no, that's a... Uh... But it's so beautifully written, there's so much suspense in it, the characters are incredible, and uh, it's just, I, I, it really makes you think. I then read Never Let Me Go, which is also about organ donation, but with children. Kind of strange. Uh, there's a lot of organ donation dystopias, um, which I found to be much more boring and detached and honestly didn't really dive into the horror of using someone just for their body. Like, literally, just didn't their body. Didn't that author just win the Pulitzer or something, though? He just won the Nobel Prize of oh, Literature. Okay. I haven't read any of his other stuff. Um, but Therese, you were saying you liked Never Let Me Go. I like Never Let Me Go. Um, I really love his most famous novel, which is Remains of the Day. Um, both books were made into films that are not as good as the books. There's something about mm. his books that are just kind of haunting. But Remains of the Day is definitely my favorite of his. 
I have not read this novel nor any Ishiguro, so I cannot weigh in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would definitely say pick up the unit. I do. I got it from the library. <laughs> I've got it. I don't usually read translated books, which is I realize me like putting up a a wall to a ton of really great literature around the world, but. <laughs> I don't know uh, why, yes. for some reason, yeah, like, I don't usually read things that have been translated. So I need to I need to make that a goal. Maybe I need to make that my, like, 2018 reading goal or something, to just read, like, yeah. translations of world literature and catch up on this stuff that I, like, too many British literature classes in college, I guess. <laughs> totally. Well, I would say if any of you had a, a book club, I think this is a really good book to read in a book club because I... I don't know if everyone would agree with everything that happens in it. I mean, there's kind of some controversial stuff that happens in the book and kind of controversial decisions by the author. So I think it would be a fun group discussion. So my one fabulous thing is going to be The Return of Good Behavior, a Michelle Dockery series on TNT about Letty, the woman who lives a life of crime and thievery and deceit and her preternaturally hot hitman boyfriend <laughs> there's only been one episode of season two so far i thought it was really strong like i was like okay good because this seems like a show where it could easily go into a weird sophomore slump as they're sort of like they're supposedly going to be on the run trying to kind of make a normal life after what happened in season one obviously neither one of them is the kind of person who will easily give up their devious ways I really thought the the season two premiere hit a good balance of giving us a lot of stuff to jumpstart new storylines, as well as some really fun scenes of them being their their sort of old badass selves. Um, and then you also get to hear newly minted Emmy winner Anne Dowd utter the line, I took a knife throwing class because of the bodyguard, <laughs> which is just like... This show is just fun. So, and Michelle Dockery is so good in it. So, if you haven't given it a chance yet, now that season two is happening, I would say go back and, and give it a shot. I really enjoyed Good Behavior, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the new season. I, I didn't know that it had started already. So, I think they did a really bad job advertising it because I didn't yeah. know either until it literally just it popped up on my DVR because I had it still had it set from last season. I don't remember seeing a single commercial. I mean, I guess I don't really watch anything else on TNT, but usually you'll see commercials on, like, partner networks and stuff. Like, I had no idea it was coming back. I live in L.A., and I haven't seen a billboard for it. I mean, like, uh, they're not promoting this show very well at all, so I will do it for them. It's a great show. Watch it. <laughs> uh, I weirdly saw a lot of social media ads for it. So oh, I really? It's coming back. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of uh, Facebook ads and Twitter ads about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I have to give us a, a little pat on the back for featuring three different um, Downton Abbey cast members in one episode. Yay! So <laughs> good for us. That's great. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Down Abbey Life After Down. We are delighted to be back, and we would uh, love to hear what you're watching within the new fall TV season. Uh, and we hope that you will follow us on social media so that we can chat. You can find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby, on Facebook by searching Downton Gabby, and of course on Tumblr at downtongabby.tumblr.com. Bye!